At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you fascinated by UFOs, the occult, strange history, and more? On October 14th through the 16th at SIR Nashville, the Strange Realities Conference 2022 will take place. Three days of exploring the mysteries of the supernatural, history, UFOs, the occult, and much, much more. Featuring presentations by Steve Berg, Micah Hanks, John Tinney, Adam Gorightly, Tim Banal, Christopher Ernst, Samantha Engel, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Melody Blackthorne, Dr. Future, Soraya Askath, Timothy Ritter, Aaron Gullius, Delaney Bowers, Olaf Phillips, and David Metcalf. With workshops by Kiki Dombrowski, Ren Collier, and Michael Hughes. Come join us in Nashville or online. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Find out what everyone is talking about. Okay, we are live, and welcome everybody to the third Strange Realities Conference preview. Hopefully get some live listeners, some live viewers tonight, uh, but this will also be on the podcast feed coming up at uh, the beginning of the week. It is it is September 20th. I had to look at my computer to find out what day it is because I keep getting confused, but we are like rolling towards the beginning of the Strange Realities Conference coming up in Nashville, October 14th through the 16th. And we have four more of the speakers that are going to be there at Strange Realities Conference. And uh, two of which are doing remote and two that will that will be on site at SAR Nashville. Uh, we have David Metcalf. How's it going? All right. And uh, Melody Blackthorne is with us. Hey, guys. How's it going? Oop. Going very well. And uh, we have uh, Nathan Isaac. Nathan, can you? Uh oh. We lost Nathan. Nathan. <laughs> All right. There can he is. Yeah, we can hear you. <laughs> Nathan Isaac, of course, from the Penny Royal podcast and from Somerset, Kentucky, uh, the very famous Somerset, Kentucky. And last but definitely not least, we have Adam Go Rightly. So, welcome. <laughs> Adam Go Rightly has been like, man, it's, uh, you've been one of my first guests on this podcast, like <laughs> way, way back. You were yep. uh, back in the, the late 50s. Yeah. 
Back in the late fifties, yeah. You part of the part of the reason why I wanted to uh do Conspiranormal. Uh been listening to your podcast and I remember hearing you on Out There Radio back in <laughs> gosh, man, that was probably like two thousand four, two thousand five. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh listen to back, uh back to your in the old days. Yeah. Listen to as your far podcast. As podcasting goes, yeah. Yeah, for real, for real. Listen to your podcast for forever, and then uh, Un- Untamed Dimensions. Mm-hmm, was it the, the name of it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, now I got you coming to my conference, so I'm really happy to to, yeah, to have you. But uh, tonight, guys. To. Oh yeah, yeah. Looking forward to you to come to the, come to Nashville and uh, hanging out with us. But uh, t- tonight, what we're going to do uh, for everybody is we're going to talk about what you guys are going to be talking about at the conference uh, to give a preview. And we're also just, uh, you know, we, we could talk about any kind of other weird, weird stuff we want to. But uh, let's, uh, because he's got to go at a certain point, let's talk to uh, Mr. David Metcalf here about what he is going to be presenting at Strange Realities 2022. Yeah. Um- really inspired by uh jeffrey kripal's work on um sort of mutants and mystics the idea of uh the influence of fiction the interaction of fiction um with various phenomena um and also uh his ideas of the authors of the impossible um you know and this certain figures that have sort of shaped the culture in that um and with this UFO stuff that has really become almost obnoxiously popular at this point through the Tic Tacs and all the rest of it, um, it's just a constant sort of hammering on the sci-fi trope. The idea that the fiction that sort of cap- captures these things best is sci-fi. Um, and I, because it, it, that's always struck me as kind of weird. Um, just because if you look at some most of the references that people go back to, it's quite often uh, other fiction that's not necessarily sci-fi. Quite often it's horror. Um, and when I started to look at sort of what is horror, like what are the elements of horror, what builds a horror story, what, what makes horror horror, um, it became more clear to me that that was true. And um, I went back and I looked at some of uh, Jeff's work on Willie Strieber, and I realized that in his main essay on Whitley, which came out before Mutants and Mystics, um, I think it might have eventually ended up as a chapter in that book. Um, he addresses the fact at the very beginning of it that he doesn't like, read, watch, or really engage with horror at all. And then he proceeds to write, uh, you know, sort of a an essay on Whitley Strieber's place as an experiencer and as a, as an author of the impossible in that. And it became, when I started looking at Strieber's career as a novelist prior to the communion book and that, um, it became clear that there were certain trends in horror that were developing that actually find um, a place in communion. So even outside of any truth claims of communion, it actually fits as kind of the a high point in where horror as a narrative genre, as a literature was going in the 80s, um, tracing all the way back to like the, be, the beginning of sort of the Gothic movement in the, the late 1700s. 
So, um, you know, I want to touch on that and kind of explore that sort of reframe uh, the phenomena through a horror narrative, which I think is actually really kind of a, you know, the idea that sci-fi and that can be a sort of think piece to move forward with technology. Um, it seems to me that horror is actually a really useful tool for sort of the psychological and socio-political and sociological uh, kind of aspects of the phenomenon. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to tease that out in a, in a fun and uh, interesting way. Okay. Very, very interesting. I think that's a, that's going to be a really, really good one to, to talk about for sure. Yeah. I mean, like one of, so, I mean, one of the things, right. Like a lot of, there's a lot of talk around alternate reality, right. And this idea that, you know, information operations within ufology and that uh, may add, sort of operate as an alternate reality game. But I think that that term itself is kind of a misnomer because that's actually really specific. Um, that's a really specific sort of modality that you build a game that interfaces with these kind of meta narratives and that. And it's not just like, you know, so you just don't, you know, alternate reality game everything. And what people are really talking about are narrative techniques. And those narrative techniques um, for something like horror, where the whole purpose of it is to evoke an emotion, right? To evoke an experience in the reader. And it's quite different than, you know, fiction, which, you know, it can draw you in and it can do that. But horror is meant to literally trigger you into an, a heightened emotional state. And the best authors are able to do that with just words. You know, the best filmmakers are able to do that with sight and sound. You know, Toby Hooper, when he was shooting uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, a movie which, you know, is famous because if you actually watch the movie, it's not what everybody says it is. It's not actually as bloody and, and gory and, you know, uh, sort of insane as people assume it is. But the reason that they assume that is because Hooper and his, the, the production team in that was so just beautifully crafted this sound and sight and visuals to create that in the audience. You know, um, Diana Pasolka, with her work with American Cosmic, talks a lot about that, about her experience on The Conjuring set, you know, and talking to the, the team behind The Conjuring uh, franchise about how do you evoke these responses in the audience, you know, and it goes down to just, you know, sounds, tones, there's things that you can do to embed different sounds in the audio that will evoke, you know, different frequencies in that. Um, and so, you know, I think uh, Josh, Josh Cutchins, I think at the last one or the one before this talked about, uh, it was the buzz and the beast, right? About the sound, the sounds yeah. that are associated with, uh, you know, Bigfoot encounters and some right. of the, you know, uh, encounters with different phenomena. And so that is what you experience when you go into a horror film, you know, and that was one of the things that Diana's talked a lot about in terms of her, her work with media and exploring media. Um, but what's interesting is I think that a lot of people draw away from horror because horror itself is kind of, you know, plays with all these taboos and, you know, you either like horror or you don't, you know, like a lot of people don't want to sit through a slasher film, you know, but the tools that are in the slasher film that go to making it and that, and our response to it is really similar to a lot, a lot of what experiencers will describe, you know, in that, um, so it can become a tool for helping people to get over, you know, these things or, or explore these states. So that's what I'm, that's kind of where I'm, I'm going with things right now. 
Yeah, that's that's excellent. Um, to add to that, you have things like in a lot of horror movies, like these low drones and these type of things right. that are just kind of like that are just kind of like added in. Right. Um, yeah. Exactly. Have you guys ever watched uh, Gaspar Noe's Irreversible, or any of Gaspar Noe's films? Uh, he uses. Um, they're really really violent films, but they're. Um, he he got a degree in philosophy at uh the sorbonne and then like uh and then got a film degree right so all of his films are meant to be these sort of existential horrors and uh so irreversible the camera is on a mount and spins the entire time so the entire entire narrative is told through this sort of gyroscopic motion and then he uses infrasound and a specific frequency he talks about it in some of his uh interviews to make people have a sense of being on edge the entire time and some mm -hmm. people react and then will get nauseous and not have nausea you know associated with it so um part of the experience is the the actual physical terror that's enacted upon the audience while watching the film you know yeah, that, that, that actually, um, that was an interesting thing that I didn't realize that, you know, Wes Craven's first movie, Last House on the Left, um, it's, you can't watch it twice. You know, I mean, like, if you watch it twice, like, it's kind of, the, that's probably, <laughs> that's a problematic thing. Um, just because it's so, so just rawly violent and, and offensive, really. And, you know, I saw it in college. And I was like, I will. That's I'll never see this movie again. Um, and then seeing interviews with him as I was doing research for this this thing, he talks about how he didn't intend people to see it again. His whole intention with that movie was to show people what was going on in Vietnam, and he said that the irony of it was that critics, you know, the, the social commentary of how terrible this movie was and how it was, you know, it was going to ruin society and that. And what he said was that that was happening every day over in Vietnam. And no one said anything about it. That was fine. That was socially sanctioned. I made a fiction that showed people the reality of what this would be if it came home. And the social, you know, the, the people, the powers that be freaked out. And they couldn't handle seeing what was, you know, William S. Burroughs, what, the naked lunch, you know, right? Like the thing that they were eating. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. The idea that you would make a movie that would only be seen once. Which, you know, that happens in like, you know, art films and that, like someone maybe, oh, you know, this will only be seen once or whatever. But I think Crispin Glover's kind of played with that with some of his stuff where it's only seen when he shows it kind of thing, you know. Um, but for uh, an exploitation film that was kind of, you know, the producers made it to make money to for the director to have that intention of it being just so visual like just viciously in your face with its subject matter that most people would only see it once and he was fine with that that was the purpose i thought that was really an interesting use of um you know sort of entertainment means and that also made me think about communion differently you know is because the idea of whitley's place in in literature at the time because they were trying to make horror a literature in the, the late 70s, well, starting with the late 60s and that, but the idea of horror novels and then legitimate horror novels, you know, that were bridging into literary novels, right? Like accepted establishment stuff. Whitley was within that circle of people that were sort of working on that. And so when Communion comes out, it it just destroys his career as a, as a fiction writer. And it was interesting because Stephen King, 
um, in an interview in the early 80s, sitting with um, Peter Straub, who was uh, within that circle, and uh, George Romero, and um, Ira, La Ira um, I forget his name, but the guy who wrote um, Rosemary's Baby. And they were being interviewed on a, on a talk show. And Stephen King said, you know, he, they were asking about if they believed in this stuff or not. And Stephen King was like, well, yeah, I do. You know, I, I definitely believe in it. And uh, Peter Straub was saying he believed in, in ghost encounters and that. And then um, the, the question was brought up of, would you want to see a UFO? And Stephen King was like, yeah, that, you know, I don't care about the ghosts and the psychic stuff. Like, that's, that's, I, that's fine, but I want to see a UFO. I want the UFO encounter. And he said, but if I did... I would never say it because that's a game killer for anybody in our industry as a as a horror author or a, you know a fiction writer to say that you that you encountered one of these things because it would just be oh it's just the, what the horror you know the horror guy's saying and so it was really interesting that Strieber was within this circle um, you know and then he becomes that guy you know the guy who does it but at the same time the way that that reality and that was being interwoven with the fictions like Peter Straub's got a the um, ghost story which is kind of his his big novel that was the birth for him um that has mentions of you know seeing vincent price movies and carrie and that it's it interweaves with reality at the time and so um you know that becomes just really hyper pronounced in in streber's work which i think is just interesting and again i don't think that i don't think it's an either or situation of, of hoax or not hoax i think that this is sort of par for the course in these things Yeah, that that was the thing was that some of uh, Strieber's work that wasn't taken seriously because it was saying that he was a, a horror fiction writer already, and that right. he could have just pulled this out of uh, out of out of his other books and just like rearranged it and made it seem like a true story. That was a criticism at the time that was that was big. Yeah, and it's interesting because you can. Um... It, uh, to look at the the actual like literary criticism in that because it's different from the you know the paranormal criticism right or the the from that end from the the weird end right like the the actual the literary critics don't quite know where to place that but um, you know in the history of of horror it, there's well actually in just literature it's called factional and they they lot him in with an, the Amityville horror right like mm -hmm. <laughs> he's right. he's put in that in that category of being could be true could not be true maybe there's something at the base of it but you know like what what how much is layered on top of that and i thought that was interesting because um you know you don't i don't know it was just it was weird to find him in that place of of being critiqued and if you look at his books were being recommended for high school students and junior high students the year mm -hmm. before the union was published um, you know, and so it's just, it's really interesting. And I've, you know, I've met and spent time with them too. So, um, just being able to, to sort of reflect on that, this, this aspect of his, his career. Right. Now this, that's a, that, I think that's going to be a, that's going to be a fascinating presentation about, about that. Um, Streber is an interesting He's an interesting person, that's for sure. Um, I can remember going to a conference here in Nashville uh, with him uh, there, and I, I didn't really get to even to talk to him. I just kind of felt intimidated by the guy. 
to be completely <laughs> honest with you. He has I don't, a presence. I don't, He's super I don't, nice. But... Yeah. Don't quite know why, but that's kind of how it how it went. Yeah. He's a um, nice guy. You got to get it. Like when he reads poetry and stuff, I love his voice. He's got such a great voice. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how you how you how you uh you, you deal with that or how anybody really in the paranormal field deals with deals with something about streber well you know um, i mean so this this somewhat came out of looking at um i have a, a piece i did on phantom hitchhikers there's a really good book that came out on the phantom hitchhiker phenomena and in folkloristics um there are tools to, that you can use to to differentiate um elements of a folk tale from someone's actual experience so when you're out collecting stories in a community, um, fact and fiction are going to blend and history is going to blend in and it's going to be this weird sort of weave and, and everything. And there's actual tools to kind of to tease out what are the factual elements, what are the sort of narrative elements that get added onto that. And with Phantom Hitchhikers, it's a really good example because the, the phenomena of someone driving and encountering something out there um, is usually not very narrative. <clears throat> It's usually, you know, you see an orb, you see a thing. It's it's a lot more numinous and there's not there's no clear like denouement, like it doesn't end anywhere. It's just you had this experience and and that's it. But the the Phantom Hitchhiker as a as a narrative story is that you drove, you picked up someone that then had an address that then, you know, and it gets into that kind of urban legend aspect of it. And then why was that person? And there's a, a local story as to why, but you know, by where I grew up. Uh, Resurrection Mary. And so the right. idea was that Resurrection Mary was coming back from a ball and walking and she got hit. And now, you know, she's on the side of the, the road waiting for people to come and pick her up and um, take her back to the cemetery, you know? And so there's a, there's a narrative there and the cemetery bars for a while at Resurrection Cemetery actually had been oddly bent and it looked like they'd been melted and pulled apart. And then they fixed that so that people weren't driving because Archer Avenue where that is, is really dark and it's kind of a dangerous highway area but you know so there's these narrative elements to it which i you know and that that exists across the spectrum and so i think it's it's interesting to see that interplay in different narratives because horror actually allows you to, to sort of explore those, those aspects of these things okay yeah thank you thank you david that's uh looking forward looking forward to that and uh, uh nathan let's talk about what you're going to talk about um, but before I before I jump into that, uh, sure. you've got to talk to Delaney Bowers, man, about the whole folk folklore and the structure of everything because she's she's been studying some of that stuff and it's totally totally fucking fascinating, you know. So, uh, exactly the same stuff, especially when she hears me spouting all my bullshit, and then she's like, <laughs> "This matches exactly this folk theory, Nathan." And it's exactly how a ghost story is told. But so, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you can see it, but with this five-person layout here, we've got uh, Delaney just like perfectly in between right. you <laughs> and Ben uh, Rightly. Right. So there's there, <laughs> right there, there she right. is. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna. Uh, she's she's gonna come on next week and and do this with us. So. She's great. She really is. I mean, like you know, she's a PhD folklorist. You know, so oh, it's yeah. like. You know, and 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 she's always. I, th- I think she's always thought that people thought this stuff was boring, but it's like now there's 
there's like bandwidth in the paranormal community for folklore again, I think, you know, and where it wasn't there before, but it's like another layer that we need to be exploring that um, I think has been lacking, you know. Did I did did I tell you my weird coincidence with Delaney? That no. I told you this. No. So uh, I worked with this guy uh, that uh, he he's like a he's like a wrestler, like an amateur wrestler, I guess you could call. And uh, when I had her on, she talked about this um, study that she did about amateur wrestlers around the South and everything like that. And. Uh, I, I worked with him and his and his wife and his wife his wife looked at me and says like you just had on somebody that you know that that interviewed him and I'm like really who and then it dawned on me that it was Delaney so he she interviewed a coworker of mine and then got interviewed on my show oh, that's <laughs> it was it was an interesting uh, it was an interesting coincidence that's really fascinating. Thought, yeah, yeah, that's how she ended up down here because we have all these like rural wrestling uh, leagues uh-huh. in <laughs> <down laughs> the Somerset area, you know. And it's like, holy shit, you know. And she came down here to study like how they create their identities and these fictional yeah. narratives that play into their lives and uh, as blue collar human beings, you know. So uh, yeah, it's cool. I'm excited to see what she's going to talk about. I wonder. Um, yeah, yeah, me, me too. All right, me too. so, so the thing I'm going to talk about uh, is the title for it is uh, "Wrong Numbers: Channeling Information Theory and the Trickster." Right. So, um, I've been, you know, obviously, uh, I sound like a broken record with the whole second order cybernetics shit, but <laughs> it's it's definitely like you know something that that always sort of informs what I'm I'm looking at, but. Um, Claude Shannon and information theory and just this idea that uh, the emergence of communication technology parallels the rise of mediumship, you know, and spirituality and that uh, every step along the way, as we progressed in new types of communications, there were new entities and new intelligences that were talking to people right and often they were leading them on these crazy adventures and journeys and sort of you know messing with everybody um and so yeah so I, i'm basically tracing the history of that and looking at uh you know the beginning of tele you know uh the telegraph all the way through to nikola tesla and marconi building their spirit uh, spirit phones and uh receiving uh, you know, contacts from what they thought at the time was possibly Mars. You know, the Marconi says, uh, actually, I think this is just a hundred miles above the earth, you know? And, and so all of the strange communications that they were receiving, um, uh, you know, into the 1900s uh, and it's sort of the connection between also uh, the spirit boards, uh, Ouija boards and early UFO contacts. Right with like George Hunt Williamson and, uh, you know, Georgia Damsky and all that stuff. So um, uh, Preston Dennett has uh, quite a bit of research that he's kind of put together that I, that I pulled some of those uh, UFO stories from obviously the Gulf breeze six, um, which is a crazy story, you know, where these guys are, <laughs> are led, led astray by uh, contacts with a UFO through, um, through a Ouija board. 
Um, and also just uh, satellite technology. There's just a lot of stuff that I came across in terms of like uh, the Telstar One, which was the first um, broadcast of um, like a live actual video broadcast. And uh, it included uh, John F. Kennedy giving a speech, right? And it was heard by a large, large number of the human populace. Um, and there was some research that we had done uh, regarding schizophrenia and uh, hearing voices and encountering, um, uh, you know, hallucinations that JFK was around the world. JFK was the number one, uh, you know, outside of the U.S. even uh, that people uh, that had schizophrenia were were encountering. Right. And I wondered if it was because of some of this early, like the first broadcast live human broadcast was jfk right and somehow that had saturated everybody but um, so i get into some of that stuff but but ultimately it's just these stories of, of how there are these uh trickster intelligences phone calls from the dead also you know once the phone you know once the phone is invented people start to there's even uh you know phone clairvoyance you know that 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 are actually advertising with people that they can talk to the dead through the phones, right? Um, and so, through all of it, people are thinking that they're talking to their dead family members, or talking to the Space Brothers, or that these things are, you know, even even the channel literature, you know, of Ra, of Seth, you know, <laughs> of all these things. Shit, the the uh, the Twelve Steps program you know, was received through channel communications, right? Right. And so right. it's always like, can you trust any of these inform any of these communications, right? And uh, when you look at these types of communications through Claude Shannon's information theory, you have to start asking questions about novelty, right? And then also the security of the channel, right? Can you have secure communications with the other world, right? Or, or or are those communications always subject to being hacked and hijacked by various intelligences, right? And you look at like the Doddleton messages, you know, where the guy's receiving the messages from the computer, uh, the that BBC one, and he thinks he's talking to a guy in the 1600s, and then 2109 jumps into the thing. It's like, you can't trust that guy. You can only trust us. Then 2109 jumps in and so those types of things fascinate me because in terms of information theory it's like you know there's a weird parallel between where we are technologically and how we're able what kinds of information or what kinds of channels we're opening right uh, to to these entities and uh, and so and then the, the really the final thing I get into is uh, the idea of like the umwelt and that that all of these technologies are allowing us to expand our sort of sphere of, you know, like a tick is blind and it only really knows it can only detect blood. And I think uh, there's a certain type of acid. Right. And it's like its entire universe is that and nothing outside of it. Right. But then humans in this way that we've built technology and created new sensors these sensors have increased our sort of umwelt, right? So that we can now detect these intelligences and they can detect us, right? And maybe they've always been able to, to detect us. 
Um, but just just looking at the history of communication theory, the history of mediumship and uh, spirit and otherworldly communication and how those things parallel um, and sort of where we're headed in terms of those technologies. Um, and I'm going to demo some of the stuff that we've been working on with uh, ChannelBot uh, that Darian uh, West, uh, my research partner, developed uh, that uses randomness to uh, channel messages. But pairing that with uh, Midjourney's bot so that whenever we channel a message, that message is then run through that to create uh, an AI image, right? So this is sort of like early ITC kind of stuff with like the static on the television or, or looking at the television to see images. Can the AI take, uh, you know, a ran- <laughs> sort of this channeled message and then convert it into a visual element that we can also use to uh, interpret or you know communicate. So, how do you uh, how do you uh, feel about the results that you're getting with that? Do you think the pictures are are interesting in terms of communication or we pretty? We only started doing it. It depends on the text. Um, uh, one of the because you have to actually supply a text for it to mm-hmm. channel from. And so we, the, the first things that we were doing were some of the uh, Katerma FBI file stuff. But it's interesting because it still generates, you know, it will. Yeah, yeah. What it's doing, it's selecting for words in the text. It converts the text, any type of text that you want to upload, into an array, right, of, of comma-separated values. And then you set your Shannon threshold. And then when the entropy drops and things become more certain locally, right, um, and, that, and the randomness is supplied by uh, weather data, right, through random.org. So it's still not, it's pseudo randomness, you know, it's not like exactly true randomness, um, but it'll, it'll select for words from a text. We've done the Book of the Law, you know, Book of Law from Crowley. Um, I think tailoring the text a little bit to what you're going to be uh, setting your intention to, right? If it was something that was alchemical or, uh, you know, it just might be more, more germane, but um, it is really strange. Someone suggested to me too using uh, Dara Mason's uh, sigil engine to take the intentions, create a sigil, and then run the sigil through Mid Journey, which has then actually that has provided the craziest results um, to see how it interprets that sigil into a fully formed image. So, but I mean, this is the first, and only in the last like three weeks that we really started getting into this. And I was like, man, I really want to include this sort of at the end of the presentation to, to, to look at some of the images that were produced. So I digress. <laughs> Looks like we lost to go rightly. Uh, the, uh, I was going to ask, you mentioned ITC. I was actually going to ask you about that, about, uh, whether you're going to hit the kind of like the constant and route of his stuff. Yeah. I'm going to go into all that. Um, oh, I'm not, not deeply. Uh, again, you know, I'm just going to kind yeah. of cover the history of it, but yeah. Right. Right. I mean, there's, when you listen to, there's, a, there's also, a lot to cover. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so yeah, I'm not going to do the thing this year where I put this gigantically detailed, presentation behind me where you can't read <laughs> can't read what it is, you know? i'm gonna i'm gonna go for for just the uh, the general the general things so well you know the the beauty of that nathan is that the people can go back and they can watch that again and again so they have time to read all that in the background true. if they want to true. so that's true mm-hmm. 
that's 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 kind of the kind of the beauty of it. I felt like I overloaded things last year, but uh, but anyway, but it's, it's going to be cool. I think Darian's going to be down there with me. I don't know if we can actually demo it on screen. We'll I don't know you know if we can do the, that and then switch to that or not. But um, did you uh, look at uh, Paul Benowitz at all? Communicating through his uh, computer. I didn't do any of that. Oh, Adam, that's good too. <laughs> Apparently, I was reading some stuff uh, the other day, and he was using text ASCII to communicate with the aliens, or whatever he was right. <laughs> thought he right. was communicating to. Right. And according to what Dodie Dodie says that they they were the ones that were doing that, right? They hacked his computer. Well, yeah, there's different rumors of how he got the computer and uh, who, who fed him the information. But that isn't that. I mean, there's no like with Benowitz having or disinformation, as the case may be. Yeah, I mean Benowitz was having those communications, and we've got a guy in England that was having communications through a BBC One with a. 16th century author or guy, you know, so it's like, why, why say that guy's not having an experience, but this guy is, you know, yeah, I never, I've never heard of that one, Nathan. I never heard of that at all. The Doddleston messages. Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. you've got to read the vertical plane. It's uh, okay. Uh, Ken West. Yeah, that's a good one. Author. It's fucking great, dude. Um, and again, I mean, all these things are subject to hoaxing, right? I mean, uh, you know, sure. who knows with any of it if that it's not being hoaxed, but but there were other people that were using the BBC One, right? That also reported communications mm-hmm. with other uh times and, and entities, right? So then you got to wonder uh, if that uh, if there was a circuit, right? A, a particular part in the BBC One that allowed it to be open to these types of communications. Um, was this inspired somewhat by some of the stuff that you've been looking at in Penny Royal, like in the first season where you talked about uh, some of the people in the mental institution that said that they were talking to intelligences and yes. uh, yes. said that Dan had had some interaction with those people? Yeah. I mean, d- definitely the whole like story of the nine, right? It right. Has always, yeah. Like there was a weird correlation between like the patients there and then the, the story of the nine. Um but then you get into um, the research with like the fact that Andrea Puharich is involved with the nine, right? And he invents a hearing aid, a quartz hearing aid that that allows you to beam voices into people's ears. Right. So he's looking at technology that will allow you to put, you know, sounds into into people, and then the group that he's working with are all channeling and hearing voices from a group of entities orbiting the earth, right. in a 13,000 year old satellite, you know, it's the same sort of black Knight satellite story. Um, and then Yuri Geller gets into his story of spectra. Right. You, hey, Nathan, with the, with the Pooh stuff, have you read, uh, uh, the post Pooh nine material? No, no. Um, it's interesting because everything that you're saying like is accurate in parts. Um, I guess it's it's accurate, like sort of factionally or factually. Um, but it, the nine thing is interesting. You should definitely read um, Phyllis uh, Schlemmer, I think is her name, the person who was actually channeling the nine for yeah, 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 kind yeah. of the late. Read her works. Um, John Whitmore, 
who's a, a famous um, sort of lead, he developed the whole idea of like leadership movement in, in corporate America and that. Um, but take a look at that stuff because it, it really it reframes kind of the, the importance of that in the sense that uh, and also uh, Greta Woodrow definitely take a look at Greta Woodrow's material um, because she was one of Puharic's space kids. She just happened to be uh, at the time middle age, I think, um, yeah. or older. But she was she was an establishment figure that was, um, you know, she, I forget. She was, I think, she had an executive coach. It was like executive, um, you know, when like you you hire a firm to basically bring in a CEO or a COO. She was kind of like a headhunter, um, and she. Uh, she started channeling not the nine, but another another group. Um, and her writings, though, she actually writes about her time at Puharic's, um Lab Nine, and it gives a whole different sense for all of that. It was kind of a ramshackle mess. Really? Yeah. yeah I mean, the 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 Lynn Pickett stuff, or it's all really blown way out of proportion. And like, if you read like what Puharic was actually like, kind of, it was real basement stuff um like yeah. basement tech like we've got a faraday cage and let's let's rock this i mean one of like a lot of the tests for the nine in that um, were done in his bedroom because that was the biggest room and that's where they had the faraday cage um and i'm not and i don't mean that in any kind of like weird kinky way yeah, yeah, yeah. literally it was just like hey we've got the faraday cage in the bedroom so we'll be down here you go up there and like sit and channel in the in the faraday cage that's crazy. So, um, yeah, definitely. Like, if you're gonna do Puharic, read, read, read around the the mythology of Puharic. Yeah. Uh, read, read beyond the the supposed MK Ultra mind yeah. handler kind of guy, and like actually, because it's it's a it's more charming, I guess, and it's more fumbly, and it's more real um, and more human, you know, um, what? than than kind of the the myth of of Puharic as as the sort of you know whatever. But yeah. So it's not a, it's not an overarching conspiratorial plot. Is that what you're saying? I mean, it could David? be you could work it in, but it's going to be more like Homeward Bound or something. It's yeah. be like it's, a it's, Disney, it's, like a Disney like animal movie. You know. So it's um, so it's so it's not going to get that that great Skywatch TV headline. <laughs> it might. You know. I don't. I mean, I'm sure Skywatch could do something with a Faraday cage in a bedroom. You know. I'm sure that they could they could build a narrative around that. There's, a, there's the other interesting thing too is his building in 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 New York actually got turned into like a community center or something, and uh, when they when they sold it, the people like ended up just dumping all the stuff and sealing up like a lot of the the stuff in the basement because no, they were like this was a Satanist house and it was evil and like this yeah yeah that book. yeah there's the Stargate yeah, conspiracy yeah, yeah man yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah I never trust a Luciferian who says that there's a Luciferian conspiracy that seems weird to me right. like someone who's like heavily heavily invested in the occult and is like there's an occult conspiracy like really there, okay. there's a there's a crazy story too where like Puharich ends up in Mexico with. Um, uh, what's her name with LNL research, uh, Carla Ruckert. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, who were, who did all the raw stuff and then they end up in Louisville, Kentucky. Right. And, and, uh, they write a bunch of books about, uh, contacting UFOs, but they end up being hired to work. There was a huge, um, horror movie, not huge, but there was a horror movie scene in Louisville, Kentucky in the 1970s. And they hired, uh, 
uh, Carla and uh, the other guy, I forget his name right now, but um, to, to basically create this scene of possession, like demonic possession. And it's too, um, too hokey. So they end up hiring, uh, what's his name from uh, uh, the uh, Church of Set? Uh, my brain stopped working. Um, Aquinas? Aquino, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so they bring him into Louisville the, at the same time with the LNL research people that, that were channeling raw, and they like work on the set together. And so there are these memoirs that, that have the description of the conflict between them and Aquino uh, on set as he tries. Yeah, was, this a, was this a William Girdler movie? That was the big, he was the big horror film director from Louisville, Kentucky. Might've been, I'll get the, I've got the, it's a, it's from Carla. It's her journals about that experience. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that was funny just to see, go from Puharj to LNL to Louisville and then Aquino sort of pops pops up and, and <laughs> gets involved, you know, in terms of, you know, psychological warfare. All right. Well, uh, I guess uh, Melody will talk about what you're going to talk about at the Strange Realities. Okay, sure. Um, first of all, really glad to be part of this and uh, honored to participate. Um what I'm going you. to be exploring with my presentation. Oh, thank you. Um, what I'm going to be exploring with my presentation uh, is taking a look at the Bell Witch haunting through a, what I believe is a completely... At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Different lens. You know, so much of the focus on that particular uh, story, the folklore behind it, um, it kind of, it centers around your, just your typical haunting and this happened and this happened and we think this is why it happened. If you really take a look at society at that time in uh, that part of the country, we're talking northern middle Tennessee, very close to Kentucky, very close to Mammoth Cave, very close to what, you know, would eventually be Hopkinsville. And we know what happened there in the 50s. You're talking about an area of the country where lots of unusual, unexplained things have happened. So... I've been studying this particular legend and basically looking at everything I could get my hands on for probably half of my life. And what I finally began to realize was, is if you really broaden the um, examination of what happened to John Bell and his family and you take it to the greater community, there were very many things that happened. And I honestly believe that there are three different explanations for what occurred during that time. Uh, one may have been a poltergeist. I believe that there was some sort of cryptid activity that was going on. Um, you had stories of, you know, people were seeing a, a donkey that had the head of a rabbit. Uh, they were seeing... Uh, strange ethereal women in the woods, several different types of creatures. 
there were they alluded to large cats. Uh, there's one story where they talk about a giant fish that uh, everyone was at the river on a Sunday afternoon and they're all fishing and having lunch. And all of a sudden here comes this giant fish right down the middle of the stream. And the fish just happened to steal the fishing rod of Betsy Bell's then fiance. And the story goes that uh, Betsy then decided, well, I can't marry him. And so she broke up with him and ended up marrying her school teacher. But that's another story for another day. Um, there was a lot of activity that was happening there and the way it's passed down through folklore, through the community. Um, I really want to take a, a look at the stories that were being told. And also, you know, is it possible that we're talking about things like egregores and groupthink? You know, where were the origins of this and what were the external influences that were at play. Um, if you look at 1819, 1820s, Tennessee and Kentucky, you had the onset of the spiritualist movement, the Methodist revival movement. People were gathering uh, near places that, that were seen to be, you know, these places were actually more glorified forts. They really weren't towns and cities yet. A lot of it was still very frontier. So you had many people gathering in different areas, raising energy, you know, raising sand, as they say. And then all of a sudden you have this very famous, uh, quote unquote, poltergeist haunting, whatever it was, occurring in the same place. So part of my frustration with uh, the Bell Witch story and the Bell Witch legend is I feel like we've only explored it one dimensionally. And what I've been working on is, is looking at it with, you know, more of a, a three dimensional focus focus and, and taking the different pieces and hopefully connecting them together um, to maybe start taking a look at historical hauntings and really um, examining them through a different lens as to what could have really been going on. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, put it put it in the context of the time and the era and everything, because most of the time the the, the historical context isn't covered as well as it probably should be. Uh I'm curious if you're going into any of the Mas right, right. I mean, any and of the Masonic stuff. I think what stuff. happens too is well. Go ahead, go ahead. I think there was I'm a sorry, bit of, a, of a lag. There was a lag. I think. Yeah, I think I, you'll have to excuse me. My internet. I'm on hotel internet. We recently moved to Asheville, and we're waiting on our apartment to be ready. So I'm at the mercy of extended stay. So, not hopefully okay. it's not cutting out too bad. Um, yeah, what, what, what I think happens is when, you know, like the Bellwitch, the Bellwitch legend, if you're a kid that grew up in Tennessee uh, or in Kentucky, we all heard it. We knew what it was. Um, we knew the story of Betsy Bell. And they were scratched in the middle of the night. They had their hair pulled. I mean, it's, it's you pretty much if you grew up in Tennessee, you're pretty much raised on it. But what has what fired me was when I would, you know, read a book about it or watch something on TV, they're basically just retelling the folklore, right? They're just retelling what's been handed down since all this happened back in, you know, 1820. And I really wanted somebody to dig in and explore the why behind it and look at all the external factors and the internal factors that could have been influencing what was happening. 
And so I finally just decided, okay, well, self, you, you, you want someone to just do it yourself. So, um, and it's kind of an amateur historian. What, what I found in my research was that there were so many things going on at the time. And it's really interesting. If you take a look at, um, the different things that have happened, uh, throughout history, if you start in the 1820s, you can almost do a timeline um, that leads straight to, you know, the 1950s and the Hopkinsville Goblins, and then take that forward to the 70s. And you can almost, you can almost get to Mothman if you, if you really sit down and look at it. And it just really inspires you to wonder what could be happening in that particular part of the country that inspires all of this activity. It's just amazing the amount of activity um, that, you know, starts right there on the Tennessee Kentucky line and travels all the way to uh, West Virginia through uh, North and Eastern Kentucky. It's, you know, Nathan, I mean, he's done so so much of that. Um, And I think it's, it's, I'm glad that people are actually finally taking a look at this and wondering where does it come from. I mean, is it the is it the folklore and legends that's been handed down from the um, the Scottish and Irish that originally settled the area? You know, if, if you it's it's really been an interesting journey, and I feel like I've started it, and I'm really interested in uh, continuing that journey and finding out even more. Sounds like a good basis for a book, maybe. Well, uh, actually, that's what I'm working on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> moving kind good. of, put, <laughs> moving kind of put it on, on hold. Um, I've got a tentative title: "The Bell Witch is an Alien and Other Weird Shit" uh, <laughs> that I that I'm working with. Um, but yeah, you know, I grew up uh, I grew up in Tennessee. Uh, have uh, family. Uh, Nathan may be familiar with this area of Kentucky. I have. Uh, family in place uh, Owen County, Kentucky, which is extremely north. Yes, he's shaking his head. He knows what I'm talking about. Um, uh, Late late 70s, early 80s, Owen County, Kentucky was about as rural as you could get. There wasn't a lot there. And I can remember uh, my grandfather had had a place on top of a ridge and it was he had several hundred acres and there were a lot of old abandoned houses and that was kind of what we did when we were kids is we would sneak off and start exploring these old houses and when i say old houses i mean houses that were probably you know over a hundred years old um it's a place where you can go for a walk in the woods and you can happen upon a cemetery that has graves from you know hundreds and hundreds of years ago so um really encouraged by the interest that in general people are showing for you know the legends and tales of that particular area of the country so that's what you know my book is going to focus on is i'm putting together the bell which is kind of the star of the book but i'm also looking at uh, different legends and different happenings um focusing on you know tennessee can and now since i'm here you know western north carolina Perfect. Yeah. Um, the Red River area, uh, Adams, Tennessee. Now, I don't know really what came first, but whenever I've gone up there a couple of times, it does have a weird feeling to it. First time that I went up there, I didn't even go close to the Bell Witch, any of the Bell Witch stuff. And mm-hmm. it just felt really, really odd to me. 
So I don't know if you get the same feeling when you're there or close to that mm-hmm. area, but uh, I definitely get the thing that just just it is kind of a mm-hmm. it is kind of a weird place. Yeah, I think it's an area. It's an area of entry. There's there's some magic to the land. It's one of the best ways I've been able to describe it. There is a inherent history, and I'm not sure if it's from the indigenous people who once occupied that area. Um, there is an inherent magic to the land. I mean, you can feel it here. One of the things that my husband and I do, uh, we spend a lot of time hiking. Um, there's you know, the mountains around here, you, you can, it's, it's not impossible to find a trail and literally be by yourself for a couple of hours, you know, up in these mountains. And you really feel that, that inherent, um, I guess, uh, you know, being is, is for want of a better word, it's just a different sort of feeling that you get. And I sourced down a couple of things that I think it is. I think you could attribute it to, you know, um, the group thing or the idea of egregores, you know, thought forms and things that we, you know, 10 people, 20 people thinking the same thing over a period of time, you know, takes that energy and creates that, um, that thing almost from whole cloth. Um, but I definitely, I definitely agree with you. Red river is one of those, that, that area around Adams is one of those areas that you just almost feel, you, you almost feel it before you realize you're there. Absolutely. All right, that sounds very, very interesting. And I should say too, when everybody is going to be, uh, everybody is going to be speaking as well, guys. Um, David and Melody, you guys are both on Saturday. You guys going to be doing remote presentations, uh, which I've got those groups. Yes. Oh, no, no, sorry, Sunday the sixteenth. Uh, Melody, you're at one thirty to two thirty. That's Central Time. And David, you're at two thirty. 30 to 340 that's also central time so you know calculate accordingly and then nathan uh you're saturday night again 6 30 to 7 30 and go rightly follows you it's 7 40 to 8 40 so you're the you're, you're go rightly's opening act <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be so cool man i mean it's, 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 <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm kind of bummed I couldn't come. To, really, I, I had planned on being there in person, and as will happen when one moves, we we moved here in May, and the housing situation being it is, uh, we actually we were informed that we had gotten an apartment and we could move in on October 13th. So, kind of put a little wrench in my plans. So I appreciate you guys accommodating the uh, the stream. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. Uh, so, we're looking forward to that, Melody. I think it's going to be great. Um, looking forward to see what you what you have, uh, and what you're going to be talking about. Strange realities, and that leaves us with uh, Mister Go Rightly and what he's going to be talking about. I'm supposed to be talking about something. Yeah, are you going to get up there and do like a song <laughs> and dance act or something? <laughs> yeah. Well, I I told you about Dolly Parton. I'm working on that. So yeah, yeah, we'll see yeah how that okay. uh, plays out. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm you know, I mean, 
there's a there's a full stage for you up there. So if you you can <laughs> bands rehearse there all the time. So if you if you if you can pull Dolly in to do a duet with, uh, are you going to like reenact the Gambler so or something? I mean, let's 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 that, go. That's 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 plan A. If that falls through, uh, I'm not sure. I'm marveling at uh, Nathan's uh, mixing board there, man. That's awesome. I want to go record yeah. some music there. So come here, it's, man. It's, You've got to come up here and hang out. And I will. I was talking to I was talking to my wife about visiting you because you welcomed me a while back. So we'll yes. do that sometime. Please, yes, yes. Okay, so what I'll be talking about originally, I was thinking of doing something called "Kooks I Have Known and Loved." You know, about different uh, people I've written about, uh, Carrie Thornley. Uh, Tal Levesque is one, uh, Manson, kind of talking about how these different figures have uh, kind of influenced uh, culture or different subcultures, fringe culture, you know. And then, but I decided to go with a James Shelby Downard presentation because recently, the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. number one, I've been working on that unpublished uh, Downard uh, book that Adam is probably aware of. I've been working on it yeah. for like five or six years, and I'm getting real close. And my plan was to have it done before the uh, conference, but I'm not sure that's going to happen right now. But getting close to being ready to get published. So going through this uh, process, the last couple of years, I've been uh, networking with other uh, people. One of them is Nathan, who's done a deep dive into James Shelby Downard, as well as uh, Richard Spence, who's uh, pinned the afterword for this uh, book, and another guy named Reed Marcus. In the last couple of years, we, we I say, these guys have probably <laughs> done uh, a lot of the uh, work chasing down these different leads about Downard, and we've learned much, much more, some crazy, mind-blowing stuff. I know Nathan went into it was like, did this guy even really exist? You know, was he a composite character made up by these other characters like Adam Parfrey and Bill Grimstead and Michael uh, Hoffman? Well, he does exist. I think Nathan can agree on that. But we, uh, what we've learned is since then is pretty mind blowing to kind of piece in his strange history where there was a lot of, uh, Blanks. There still is a huge blank area from what is it? The '60s and uh, from oh, the '60s and '70s uh, or early '70s at least. But uh, so the presentation will be be called uh, "Searching for Doctor Downard." That's all I'm going to tell you right now. Nice. That's awesome, dude. The, the, yeah, that's the, the doctor reference is awesome. Because <laughs> he was a doctor, believe it or not. Kind of, kind of, sort of. Yeah. 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 There's some crazy shit that's uh, come across the pike here in the last year or so. It's like, whoa. Yeah, he was a real guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people thought that, you know, the legend of Downard and you guys might be aware of it, that he was supposedly at one point traveling across the country in his Airstream trailer, the Freemasons hot on his tail. He was looking, you know, had a Colt 45 by his side and 
chasing down these different uh, conspiracies and Fortean anomalies, and uh, a lot of people thought, oh, it's, you know, it's a bit too much to believe, you know, but uh, even his background is even wilder than the uh, legends uh, that we've uh, heard mm -hmm. about in the past. So be there. So we're on next. what? What <laughs> Saturday at what time? So, uh, Saturday at. Let me pull it back up. Seven forty, <laughs> eight forty Central Time. I say that because we do have. We're going to have a substantial streaming audience too. They could be just about anywhere. Oh, that's a but good if time for me to get uh, lubricated on a couple beers. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so there's gonna be there's gonna be some new information imparted to us at Strange Realities Conference. It should, yeah, it should be uh, new. I think Nathan has probably seen <laughs> a lot of this stuff. We just uh, sure. touched uh, back together again after not communicating for several months, and I'm glad he shared a little nugget with me. I won't put it in the presentation. <laughs> you know what your uh, the. Uh, reference to saturn i, I was going to touch on that but uh, now i know that's probably bullshit but yeah it's uh <laughs> it, it's an ongoing process uh, uh looking at downward and putting together his history that maybe originally i was going to suggest this to nathan and maybe richard spence that we get together and uh, put all this uh, material into a book somewhere down the line we're still learning a lot more. So any, anyway, yeah, that's what the presentation is going to be about. So there's a lot more about downer to be, to, to, to be known. That's, that's interesting. And there's still mm -hmm. that lost decade, yes. man, you know, from like 65 to 75, you know, it's like, <laughs> if you could just pin down what happened right there, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, he was probably in a, uh, maybe in a, well, We'll talk about that at the event. Gotcha. Well, I mean, for for everybody, that, that's I, I think that's worth the price of admission alone is finding out this uh, this this information. I mean, uh, go rightly. You've done a lot of uh, research on Downard over the years. That's for that's for sure. So the 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 book you're talking about that's more kind of like that's the continuation of his autobiography. Well, kind of, uh, sort of, it was laid on me, uh, boy, it's been a few years now, 2015, I got a hold of this unpublished manuscript, which was like yeah, roughly 650 pages, and it was, it's, it's like two different, uh, I describe it in the uh, foreword to the book, uh, it's like two or three different uh, manuscripts, and together and there's like unfinished chapters and so it was a big challenge or a lot of work to kind of edit this into something uh, digestible and um, so that, that's what I've been working on the last few years along with a bunch of other projects uh, film projects and uh, you know different books I've published so it's one of those things that kind of gets put back on it's on the back burner, you know, for a couple of years. And then I circle around to it. And I'm finally to the point where it's almost finished. All Right now, it's just a matter of I'm self-publishing this. And it's the first 
self-published thing I've done where I'm doing the layout and everything. And uh, so there's always <laughs> a lot of hiccups. It's a learning curve for me uh, putting this all together. So uh, the basic guts of the book is done. It's just uh, getting it, finishing the layout and getting it uh, published. Now that'll probably take a month or two. Does, does it pick animals of life and death leaves off or is it just a little bit more? Oh, well, it's, it, I it's mean, partially, it's partially uh, biographical, autobiographical, but then it isn't. A lot of some of the chapters this go into is different uh, theories and, you know, that type of thing. So it's a mix of this, <laughs> the ancient uh, Egyptian history he gets into, mystery religions, a lot of that goes on and on. But then uh, there's different biographical stuff that kind of picks up after that, uh, the carnivals of life and death. But it's not, you know, <laughs> it's just different scenes. He's in Mexico for a while where he has a battle with Leon Trotsky. And oh, I don't nice. know, Nathan, nice. Nathan might have seen some of this stuff. So it's a patchwork. That's what I was saying when I got it. It looked like uh, two or three different manuscripts. And so, but it all overlaps. It all ties into essential themes and theories, you know, about uh, the 33rd degree latitude and the uh, atomic bomb explosion at the Trinity site and how this was all part of this alchemical ritual, magical working uh, type situation. So it, it's, it's not purely autobiographical, I would say maybe a third of it is, and it kind of, kind of picks off, picks up where the carnivals of life and death left off. So did he did he claim that he killed Trotsky? Or does uh, he just have a inadvertently? Inadvertently, it, uh, it, it appears. Yes, the uh, history tells us that uh, Trotsky <laughs> was uh, somebody took a hatchet and whacked him, gave him fifty whacks. It was an ice pick, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, something. Somebody he yeah. had a mole in like his communist cell that. Uh, assassinated yeah. him uh, a uh, Stalinist Downer yeah. tells a whole different story <laughs> um, we get we get the we get the true story is what you're saying that's the um, Downer you might you might have a piece of the true story with Downer it's always this thing well he's, he met claims claims he met this person at this certain time and but then you look you trace some of the history some of it kind of jibes with where these people were but did he confabulate uh, certain things you know fdr franklin roosevelt shows up several times in his works and but you know there's uh, nathan came across an interesting photograph that kind of uh <laughs> you know lends some credence to maybe he was uh in New Orleans in the 30s at the same time of FDR, whether they actually interacted or not is another story. It's a so whole other thing. He's like well, this the, Walter Mitty type character that, you know, <laughs> claims he get, knew all these people and did all these different things. And some of it kind of sort of adds up to a certain extent, but a lot of it doesn't. 
Well, David's going to have to go. We're going to probably end here in just the next few minutes anyway. But, uh, David, uh, if you could tell everybody where they can find you and all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, David B. Metcalf wordpress.com um it's my blog i'm on twitter and, and all the rest of those things um i will be hosting a art exhibit in athens oh yeah uh, so october 9th we're having our opening reception it's going to be at the athens clark county library greg bishop will be there um talking about ufos and all that good stuff it's it's folk and outsider art focused on ufos so it should be pretty interesting, mostly regional, um, some from outside the region. But, yeah, it should be a, a good good little event. And that will be going until November 22nd. So if anybody ends up in Athens, um, Athens Clark County Library will be hosting that that exhibit. Um, Adam, I'm excited to hear your, your talk on this. I actually um, – Downard was my high school yearbook quote. So it was, it was mm-hmm. some king kill uh, that, I, that I put in there. <laughs> And I, I look back on that now, and I'm like, oh wow, that was <laughs> that was making a statement for like you know 97, 97 uh, high school yearbook. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing the uh, the deep history here of of Downard beyond the the known the known facts. But what was, was the quote? What, what was what the was quote? That? What was the quote? Uh, it was the uh, the witch's cauldron one um, that the son of the United States is a like a some sorcerer or something or other witch's cauldron nice um, yeah it was it was a good it's very into the x-files it was that it was that period in the 90s so x-files and uh, apocalypse culture as as one does yep. yeah well thank you for joining us mr metcalf yeah thank you take care yeah, we'll everybody talk, we'll talk to you soon all right all right, guys. Thank you so much for being here and doing this tonight. I think we're going to probably uh, run this to a close. Uh, we will start with uh, Nathan. And well, actually, my question for you before you before you talk about where to find you and all that, is there going to be a third season of Penny Royal? Are you thinking about it? No, for sure. There's, there's going to be two more seasons. <laughs> two more? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to crank out 39 episodes, man. But I've, I've got to... But, uh, <laughs> There's some weird shit. I mean, we've found some fucking strange stuff lately that I've kind of like, anyway, we're going to obviously we'll talk about a bunch of that stuff when we're in person with each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. Melody, I would love to talk to you sometime offline too. Oh, sure. That would be great. Deeply into uh, this area, you know, so. uh, Absolutely. Good chats, you know, so. um, Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a bunch of weird stuff about, ancient welsh traditions right mm-hmm. in this sort of region of the united states that i've been digging into and like pockets like um uh pockets of of old religions that came over mm-hmm. right um and these small enclaves that have carried on traditions a lot longer than they should have that may have even blended with christian or actually southern baptist sort of uh mm-hmm. ideals and it's some like really strange stuff and and i honestly didn't think that it existed or that i believed in any of it and then it's just the preponderance of evidence is like something strange is happening right mm-hmm. and like and i don't even know if it exists now but definitely the 50s and the 60s uh mm-hmm. there was some generational stuff that was still 
in existence. And uh, I don't know, it's some strange stuff, but <laughs> yeah, it is. That's what it's strangely wonderful, though. I mean, I think, you know, I lived, I've lived all over the place, um, all over the country, overseas. And it was, I, I'm going to sound like a huge dork, but it was so cool to come back home to this part of the world. It, and I think unless you've been here and left it and then come back, then you get my jam on that because it's kind of like, you know, you, you think, Oh, I'm going to go to the big city and I can't wait to get out of here. And then you miss it, whether you realize it subconsciously or, and I don't, I still have yet to figure out what it is, but when you know it, you know it. And when you feel it, you feel it. And I, I literally just, when we came to Asheville, I, I had a moment. I mean, I was just like, wow. I mean, it, when I say it feels like home, it inherently feels like, like home, home, like many years, many generations home. Um, so yeah, I, to I totally get what you're saying there. would definitely like to, uh, to talk with you further and uh, collaborate on something. Cause, uh, yeah. Penny. And by the way, Penny Royal. Awesome. I'm glad to hear there will be more of that. <laughs> Thank you. Do you have, awesome. uh, do you have, do you have roots in Western North Carolina, Melody? I do through my father's family is uh, Irish. Uh, his father was an immigrant um, to this country. And then his mother was Cherokee. Um, so I have the Cherokee connection. I have the Irish connection. And then through my mother, it's uh, Nolan's Creole and Scottish from uh, the Kentucky area. So, yeah, definitely. I feel I feel I have a few little connections there. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Asheville last weekend too. Really? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a great town. It's it's, cool. it's you know it's it's got its side. You know the breweries and everything are great, but you know. We've, we spend, like I said, we spend a lot of our time exploring, you know, the mountains and, you know, my husband, he's very skeptical. You know, he, he's very skeptical. He always looks at the science behind things. He's a musician. If he could see your studio right now, Nathan, he would probably, <laughs> he'd be very upset that his is not built yet. But, um, you know, even he has commented, we've been a couple of different places and he said, he said, okay. I feel the land spirits here. And so, you know, Asheville is a great place. Um, it's a great place to go to a brewery, but it's also a great area to really, if you are seeking and really are looking to find a connection or, you know, learn something or just, you know, get in touch with anything. I feel like you can do it here. And I don't know if it's because of all the like-minded people in one place or like you said, you know, is it something historically that's connected to the land that just inspires, you know, that kind of connection? Yeah. Yeah, there is definitely something about it. By uh, by my ancestors that are buried in Waynesville, Melody. Mm. So it's pretty, no pretty close to where you're from. Yeah. Yeah, it is. We actually, we explored Waynesville. It's, yep. it's just, a, it's a great part of the country. It really is. Yeah, for, for sure. And Melody, where can people find you besides Strange Realities Conference? <laughs> well, I've got the Pandora's Dark Carnival podcast. 
It's on hiatus, but I do have season one out there that can be found wherever you find your podcast. Um, Pandora's.carnival.com. And I'm at Sookie Vamp on Twitter. So right now that's about the best place to find me is um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Try to keep it, you know, targeted towards the strange and wonderful and paranormal. Um, and yeah, give me a follow. I'll follow you back. And uh, I'm looking to connect with like-minded people always. Um, kind of, I'm kind of new to the, uh, you know, the paranormal conspiranormal community. So looking to make friends and, you know, see what's out there. All right. And, and Nathan, uh, where can people find you? Uh, a paranormal podcast. Uh, it's on Apple, all the platforms and, um, we got the Liminal Lodge, our Patreon that people can take a look at uh, where we're doing research on stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, all the all the platforms, you know. So uh, any anywhere where you, where you look, you'll find us. So. And they'll find you in Nashville in, in October. Yes. And which it's dude, I'm so stoked. I think this is going to be fun. I, I can't wait to talk to you at a person, man. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. going to be fun. Saturday's gonna be crazy, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Y'all, y'all don't get too too plastered before you get up there on stage. I do, I do. Yeah, Banal is gonna be hey, there a, too. This, this might be. <laughs> I was gonna say, what what night are you guys having Tenny on? Because I'm sensing if we get Saturday, these guys with Saturday, Tenny, that Saturday. Oh, he's night. a party animal too. Saturday <laughs> night. Yeah, it's gonna oh, it, it, be it's, fun. Yeah, it's gonna be a blast. And uh, Mr. Gert Rightly, where can people find you? Who wants to find me? <laughs> I don't know. You know, same thing. Uh, Twitter, uh, kind of Facebook. I have adamgorightly.com. I have a bunch of uh, blogs, Chasing UFOs blog and uh, Untamed Dimensions blog. If you want to find my books, Amazon. I'm easy to find. Yeah, I can highly recommend any of Adam's <laughs> any of Adam's books. I've read a good portion of them at this point. The only Thanks. one I haven't read is the is the Manson run one. I think I'll actually never forget the uh, the article that you did about the Bigfoot um, uh, the, the Bigfoot <laughs> hoax. That was, a, that was a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm trying right, to remember. I had a, I had a I had a fun name for that. I'm trying to forget what, what I named that. Uh, <laughs> I'll anyway. go look, look it up. Um, it was like Hunter S. Thompson meets uh, Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you have my attention. <laughs> <laughs> this was when those guys, uh, Melody. You may remember 2008. The guys that that hoaxed. Uh, they found Bigfoot in North Georgia. Yes, and, uh, they, it ended up being like a plastic um, costume. Yeah. And, uh, well, like, well, Adam, well, go rightly went to the press conference that they did. I guess yeah, they, they had. Were, they had it I guess they were in Palo California. In the, yeah. Nice. They had it. Had it in Palo Alto, I think, which is near San Francisco. Yeah, it was a. It was a fiasco. Was that was that, uh, was that Tom? Was that Tom Biscardi? Was he there? Tom Biscardi. That? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that. Uh, uh, Las Vegas promoter, used car salesman. He got involved with those two jamokes from Georgia, and 
crazy. <laughs> this is different from the Texas one, though, right? This is not yeah, the one is... with the guys in Canada, right? That that um, yeah, you know, with the, yeah, no, the th totally different one. This, yeah, this was a big deal. On probably like at least ten yeah. years ago, and one of the guys two thousand eight is when it yeah, happened. Okay, and what one of the guys was a. Uh, cop of some stripe he and his buddy were out in the woods <laughs> they saw a bigfoot and shot it i think then they said they had the, <laughs> the body of uh, bigfoot and they ended up bringing it uh it was a big hype for this conference we're going to see bigfoot they had the body it was on ice you know they preserved it but there wasn't any body at the conference and the guy showed these had both of the two guys from uh, georgia talk and then at the end, they had these funky uh, photographs they showed that were hoaxed photographs. Then later, I think uh, they got uh, one of the networks involved to go film because they claimed they had this body. And it ended up being, they just got a bunch of entrails and stuff and stuck it mm -hmm. in this. <laughs> it was crazy. Tom yeah, there, was guy, there was a guy on Coast to Coast, came on Coast to Coast. And, yeah, uh, said something of like, "That's my suit. That's the suit that I designed." And I think it did end up being the suit that that, that he designed that they filled uh, with 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 like with guts. Yeah, they put guts in it, and uh, <laughs> but they yeah. would, they wouldn't they wouldn't let anybody really see it, you know, or they let in <laughs> one camera crew and <laughs> it was crazy. It was just you know, yeah, and, and I, got a tremendous. Ab amount of hype at this press conference mm -hmm. i went in there the shucking and jiving you know pretending to be a journalist and got in but cnn and i still i photographs look on my website you know there was like all the networks were there there was like a dozen cameras press you know people were taking this shit seriously and it was all just a bs hoax the one in trying to profit off of the one in Texas, I think you're referring to Nathan. I think that might have been one of the same guys. Like if I think Scardi is in both of these cases. Yeah, well, I think the guy that was the ex-cop. Oh yeah, he did in show Georgia, up later. Yeah, he he yeah. tried it again. <laughs> yes, and I think yeah, that's yeah. the Texas one. But the <laughs> Texas one, check it out. The Texas one was originally called the Kentucky Bigfoot Pro Project. And they changed it to the Texas Bigfoot Project, but the farm where they had portals to go into Bigfoot World is in Kentucky, an hour and a half north of me, and they still own the property, right? Uh -huh. Okay. And like all these people recanted the story, and the I mean, there's all kinds of like legal ethical problems of these scientists. Uh, one of the scientists mm -hmm. that owns it fled uh, the state and moved to Pennsylvania. And uh, but the Biscardi guy is involved in both of those cases. Uh, yeah, one of the big one of the big uh, things they were pushing angles was they had uh, Bigfoot DNA. Yeah, or yeah. It's DNA that didn't match human DNA. Yeah. How do you know what Bigfoot yeah, think, DNA is? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody on Facebook commented, "Is that the one with Melba Ketchum?" Yes, I think that's the yeah. like. So also was oh, it part raccoon? <laughs> the, the Melba Ketchum stuff too. When you look at it, look at her closer. Like you know, obviously she was writing Bigfoot romance fiction. Also, uh, oh dear, like, 
which is a weird twist to the case. But then if you if you look at her history, she like was involved in some like murder cases and some criminal cases where they had her as the oh, DNA was- expert and it was like totally messed up. And they yeah, end up yeah. turning her over to the Texas Forensics Board to have her disbarred. And oh, uh, yeah, I, th- I think I think she was involved in the uh, the previous <laughs> uh, thing they did. I remember that name, Melba Ketch, and they were making a big thing about the DNA, and she worked in a lab somewhere. And I don't remember all the details now. Mm-hmm. Sort of just lives. just recently, a few months ago, there was a guy that said that he found a Bigfoot skull. Yeah, that might be the can. That might be. That is something that was. I think that might be Canada, and that he found a Bigfoot skull, and it looks like a gorilla skull. Right. Yeah. With a large yeah. gorilla skull. So, like, you know, who knows where he actually found it? But he said that he he found it in the woods. He found it up there in Canada or somewhere. The Kentucky case that had the sleeping Bigfoot, and remember the picture of the Bigfoot. It turns out it's a uh, seven hundred dollar Chewbacca uh, costume. That, that you could buy online, right? And it's like they, they show a picture of the picture beside the, the product, and it's like, that's it. And they're like, oh, there was a sleeping Bigfoot. And if you go to this property, there are portals on the property. And if you'll pay us a thousand dollars, you can stay there. You know? Oh, just a thousand. Yeah, or whatever it was. At the time. You know, they were trying, it was a, a Bigfoot nice. habitat, you know. Mm-hmm. We're 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 in the same we're in the wrong we're in the wrong business. We need to. We should start doing James Shelby Downard tours on buses and taking people across the country to occult sites <laughs> and get really weird with it. You know? That's an idea. Yeah. <laughs> Money to be made. Money to be made. Well, um, I want to thank you all for, for being a part of this tonight and want to remind everybody that uh, these three people will be uh, part of the Strange Realities Conference 2022 coming up October 14th through the 16th. You guys get your tickets. Uh, we still have plenty of space for you at SIR Nashville. If you are in Nashville or somewhere in the Inverons, come see us. Are the, but you can also view this online as well. So uh, coming up here in just a few more weeks, guys. Really looking forward to uh, to seeing you there. Looking All forward right. to it. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much, and uh, want to thank everybody else for listening to Conspiratormal. And uh, we'll be back next week with uh, four more guest uh, speakers from Strange Realities Conference. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.